watched that like three times. Darn it, it's not supposed to mess you up on like the third time, is it? <laughs> well, uh, welcome. If this is your first time here, my name's Adam. I'm the lead pastor here. You picked a great Sunday to show up. State of the Church Sunday. You get to kind of get to know us more probably than you normally would. So, uh, one of the most lied to questions I think like in existence is, how are you doing? Right? Uh, we, we lie to it all the time. Many of you lied to it this morning. You lied to it just a couple minutes ago in church, you heathen. I uh, can't believe you did that. Um, but there's a lot of reasons we lie to it, right? First of all, sometimes the person who asks it doesn't really want to know the answer to it. You know, they're just following like a social script in their head. Like, they don't care what your answer is. Matter of fact, it would actually throw them off if you said terrible, thanks for asking. Like, they wouldn't know what to do with that. They'd just be thrown off. The second reason is because you don't want to answer the follow-up question if you tell them you're not doing good, right? The inevitable follow-up question is, oh, what's wrong? And you don't want that, right? Like, you don't want to answer that question. This isn't a counseling session. Get out of my face, man. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't ask you to get up in my business, right? But the third reason, and um, I think the most common reason we lie, and maybe lie is not a fair accusation to throw at you, but um, is because the answer to the question, how are you doing, is never a, like a, a simple answer, right? If I try to answer that question in just one sentence, it's a, it's a humongous oversimplification of what's actually going on in my life. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of things. I mean, which part of your life do you want to know how I'm doing in, right? You could actually try to be really thorough with somebody, right? Uh, you could give them the whole rundown, like doing pretty good with my wife, kind of hate my kids right now, job's a little rough, really tired of winter, I need a hobby, I'm a little bit bored, you know? Um, you could just try to go, 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 and tell them the whole thing. The nice part is they'd never answer, they'd never ask you the question again. Uh, maybe, maybe the most honest way we could answer the question is, uh, it's complicated. Right? Wouldn't that be probably be the most accurate way you could actually answer the question, how are you doing? It's complicated. Because even when I'm good, not everything's good. And even when I'm bad, not everything's bad. So maybe we should just start saying that, even though I think it would freak people out if you said that too. Um, so if that's true, when we are asking how you're doing of just one person, can you imagine how hard it is to answer the question when somebody asks it about a church? That was my whole point to, for that, just to set you up for that. Um, that's a really hard question to answer. How's the church doing? I don't know. Good? What, what part do you want to know about? Uh, G-Kids formed 180, uh, setup team, worship team, tech team, Thrive Groups, discipleship, first impression, preaching's really good. What do you want to know about? What do you want to know about? <laughs> I know some parts. Um, that's not an easy question to answer. It's complicated. It's complicated. There's a lot of things going on. So what I want to do today is I want to try and give you kind of an overview, like the 30,000 foot view of where we've been and where we're going. Uh, I'll do my best. Not, obviously not every detail is going to be included. Uh, but here's how I want to start. I want to start with a biblical story that will help us look at our story. You ever notice how that happens sometimes? Like how if you hear somebody else's story, it can kind of help you understand your story better because you can kind of plug yourself into their situation and you can see stuff better like when it's somebody else rather than it's you. Uh, I've, at least I've noticed that. So that's what I want to do. I want to look at a biblical story and it will help us see our story. My goal is that you'll be able to get something out of this personally too. So this isn't just going to be like a raw, raw church thing. Um, but we're going to jump into the Bible story first. So uh, if you would, pray with me and then we'll jump in. Jesus, uh, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Um, thank you for uh, being able to sing to you this morning. Thank you for everything you did in 2017, Lord. Um, just watching that again, uh, I'm blown away. I'm blown away. Um, 
I pray that you'd be here uh, this morning, Lord, that everybody here would have their hearts open and their ears open to hear from you this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would guide my words uh, and my heart this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so story we want to look at is in 2 Kings chapter 3. It's about a couple of kings, Jeroham and Jehoshaphat, if you can believe that. Uh, that's his name. Uh, at the time, uh, the kingdom of Israel split into two kingdoms, so it's against the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And this country, Moab, is causing trouble with the northern kingdom, so the northern kingdom acts the southern kingdom. Can we go uh, pick a fight with Moab? They're causing trouble. So they do. And then they also recruit the king of Edom. So you've got three kings going off to fight this country, Moab. And here's what happens. Pick it up in verse 9. The king of Edom and his troops joined them, and all three armies traveled along a roundabout route through the wilderness for seven days, but there was no water for the men or their animals. So they're on their way to fight this country, this, this Moab, and they've been traveling for seven days. They're getting close. They run out of water. Uh, so verse 10. What should we do? The king of Israel cried out. The Lord has brought us three, uh, the three of us here to let the king of Moab defeat us. So he kind of freaks out, obviously. Um, now, what we learn later in the story, if you, you, you got to kind of dig into some stuff, but um, where they stop and where he's having this freak out moment is actually a valley with a riverbed at the bottom. Um, but the river's missing. So there's a riverbed, but there's no river. There's a place where there's supposed to be water, but there's no water. And if you look at what the king of Israel says here, he, it almost seems like he's like betrayed by that. Like he's like, hey, there's supposed to be water here and there's not water. And he's kind of freaking out about that. He's like, hey, we're doing what we thought God wanted us to do. We're going where God thought, we thought God wanted us to go. And we don't have the provision that God needed to provide for us to be able to do these things and go this direction. You ever felt that way? You ever felt like you were doing the right thing? Like you were on the path that God wanted you on. You were going in the direction that God wanted you to go. You were like going towards the destination of the place where he wanted you to be. Like you were certain of it. Like as certain as you can be of those kind of things. But then when you got there or close to there, wherever there is, you didn't find God there. You thought there would be provision in that place, but there isn't. You thought there would be blessing in that place, but there isn't. You thought you would find peace and strength and purpose in that place, but there isn't. And the worst part is you like counted on it being there, right? Like, like you stretched yourself to make it that far. You counted on there being some kind of provision there. You made decisions based on it being there, and it isn't there. And now you kind of feel screwed. You wouldn't say that in church because nobody says that in church, but you feel screwed um, because you can't go backwards because you came all this way and you can't go forwards because you like don't have anything left to go forwards with. If you've ever felt that way, you know how these guys felt here. They expected water, no water. And now what do we do? We're like one day away from a fight and we don't have what we need. So here's what they do. Here's what they do. They call this prophet named Elisha, who's pretty much the most powerful prophet to ever live. I'm asking for some direction here. Hey, we thought there was going to be water here, but there isn't. So, like, our choices are, uh, like, die of dehydration, like, die, die of thirst, or go get our butts kicked by Moab because we're all, like, really, really thirsty and we're not going to have any energy to actually fight this battle. So, Elisha, like, we need some help here, dude. Now, you're calling in Elisha. Kind of a big gun here. Uh, like I said, Arguably the most powerful prophet to ever live. So what are some things you think he might say here in this moment? We need water, Elisha. Help us out, man. 
So one thing he might say is, hey boys, get your buckets ready, here comes the rain, right? He's done that before, actually, if you're familiar with Elisha. Like, there's a cloud, here it's coming, there's rain, just, just get your buckets out, God's going to give you some rain, right? That's one possibility. Another possibility, he might say, I don't know, like take that staff there and, and hit that rock and water will come out. God has done that in the past too. Or, or maybe he might say, like, hey guys, you know what it is? You're just like one valley over. Just keep going just a little bit further. Like, don't stop on seven days. Go eight days. Like, I don't know. He could say something like that. Like, keep going. It's, it's, it's just over here. You're just not there yet. Um, those are all possibilities of what he could say. But here's what he actually does say. We need water. What do we do? Here's what Elisha says. Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of trenches. Dig in the dirt. Like, you want to be like, hold up, hold up, Elisha, here, buddy, I know what happened. You misheard us, dude. We don't need dirt, we need water. Like, actually, uh, it's, it's just a, maybe a common mistake, you know, like dirt and opposite, it's kind of the opposite of water, but whatever, you know, we need water, not dirt. What are you doing here? Why are you telling us to dig in the water? This is the opposite of what they expect. They want to look up, and he's telling them to look down. They want provision from the heavens, and Elisha says, get your hands dirty. This is a command that does not make a lot of sense. They want a breakthrough, and God says, put in some manual labor. Use energy that you don't have to make trenches in dirt when you need water. So, why trenches? Verse 17 explains further. You will see neither wind nor rain, says the Lord, but this valley will be filled with water. You will have plenty for yourselves and your cattle and other animals. So I'm going to give you water, just not how you expected. So dig trenches. I'm going to fill them. Now, every commentary I read about this story um, said that what's going to happen is God's going to send water down this riverbed. The, the, the dry riverbed is going to become a full-on riverbed. And if they don't dig these trenches, the water is going to flow right by them. Like the trenches are actually to catch the water that God is sending. Like... God couldn't just send the water because they wouldn't have been able to catch it as it was going by. It would have just passed them by. They had to prepare for God's provision. They had to be ready for this blessing that God wanted to give them, and it required some work on the front end. So, so let me ask you something about this. Like, digging ditches is one of the most, like, the worst jobs in the world. Isn't it even like a cliche? Like, well, if I can do nothing else, I can go dig ditches. Like, it's the worst possible job. Like, lo- farthest down the totem pole, right? So wouldn't it be tempting if Elisha is saying, hey, here's what God says, dig some ditches. Wouldn't it be tempting if like you're hearing this, like you're, you know, you're just one of the army going, really? Dude, I'm thirsty. I'm like dying of thirst, literally dying of thirst here, and you want me to dig a trench? Like, wouldn't you be tempted to go, okay, well, I'm not going to be disobedient to God, so like, there you go, right? Like, I did it, God. You're welcome. I was obedient to what you told me to do. Wouldn't that be tempting? Because digging trenches sucks. But if you realize that the amount of water you're going to keep is actually dependent on the size of the trench you dig, if you realize the amount of work you put in is like proportional to the amount of this blessing that God's going to send, the amount you're going to be able to keep, all of a sudden maybe your mindset about this trench changes a little bit. You don't want to dig the smallest trench you can without being disobedient. You want to dig the biggest trench you can to catch the most water. I mean, when you realize that the amount of work you put in is going to be proportional to the amount of like, provision you get, 
it becomes a different kind of job, you know? It's not just this mindless thing. All of a sudden, there's purpose behind this thing. And then Elisha adds this in at the end, verse 18. He wants you to know this. But this is only a simple thing for the Lord, for he will make you victorious over the army of Moab. So he just wanted to add in there, hey, by the way, not only is God going to give you water when you need it, he's also going to, you're going to win the fight too. God's going to make sure you win the fight too. And it's easy. It's easy for God. He just wanted you to know that. Like this isn't hard. God sending this provision isn't hard. You actually being able to accept it, that's a different thing. You had to put some work in, but God sending it, that's easy for him. It might pass you by if you don't do some work, but God's going to send it. God's going to send it. So, what I want you to see here is that their obedience in something that doesn't make a ton of sense is actually the catalyst for the breakthrough that they needed to do the thing that God was calling them to do. I wonder if this is where you're at today. Maybe God does, wanna, does actually want to bless you, does actually want to give you provision where you need it in your life. But maybe God's waiting for you to dig some ditches, you know what I'm saying? Like to get ready. Maybe God's waiting for you to, to increase your capacity to be able to hold this blessing that he wants to send to you, to be able to hold this provision that he wants to give you. Maybe you need to dig some trenches so the blessing doesn't just flow right by. Maybe you need to do some work. So if you're waiting right now, if you're sitting here in your life just kind of waiting for God to move, don't just sit there. That's not the kind of waiting God asks us to do. Do work, get ready, prepare. So some examples, I don't know, like if you're sitting here as a woman going, I want my husband to love me like the Bible says to love me, or are you respecting him like the Bible says to respect him? Well, but, uh uh-huh, dig that ditch, as big of a ditch as you want to be filled. Does that make sense? Well, my, our finances are a mess, we just don't have very much money. Are you handling the money that you do have the way God wants you to handle it? Well, but I don't have it. I know, I know. Dig a ditch. Do, do what God wants you to do in that area. My job, it just, it just, I hate my job. It's horrible. I want another job. How are you handling the one you got? Like, what's your attitude? Well, yeah, but it, no. Dig a ditch. Dig a ditch. Do what you can do with what you do have. And, and keep in mind, like, the amount of work you put into it, I think, is going to somehow be proportional to the amount of blessing and provision that God gives on the other end. Now, Listen, this sermon's not supposed to be about you. Gosh, it's supposed to be about us. You guys are so selfish. So, um, let's talk about us, all right? First, let's look back. 2017. Uh, I want to point out something really cool first. Really cool first. You already saw it. Um, We baptized 20 people last year. Like, I didn't even know this, like, we were putting the video together, and I... Like, I don't, like, I should. I should have, like, a tally in my office somewhere where I actually keep track of this, but I don't. So I had to, like, kind of wait for Jonathan's, like, getting, trying to collect all the footage from different places, and he finally gets it all together. I'm like, oh, my gosh, we bat, like, we actually hit 20, dude. We have 20 people. Do you realize how crazy that is? I was just, like, actually, last song, I was looking stuff up backstage. I was doing research for my sermon. Uh, and um, I found out that the average church baptizes about point, uh, it's 2% a year. Well, 20 people is about 10% for us. So that's a crazy, crazy number. Um, and I love this is, this is what it's all about. This is it. Like, this is our goal. Um, now, I started there. Now, here's what I usually do. So I've done, this is my seventh state of the church or sixth? I don't know. It's one of those. Um, 
Every single year, what I do right now is I give you this rundown of all the stats from last year that are all awesome. That's what I do every year. Um, everything's better, you know. Uh, and, I, and I get excited and we kind of roll through. Actually, usually I'd save this one for last because it's my favorite one. Um, but this year, uh, like I want to be real with you. I could try to do that thing where I like dress it up and make it seem like, oh yeah, we baptized 20 people, some other stuff happened, but let's look over here. Like I could do that. And uh, I get why some leaders do it, but I always respect the leader who's more real and raw and honest than the guy who tries to dress stuff up. So that's who I want to be. Um, so can I be real with you besides this? 2017 was hard. It was a hard year. Um, like in every other area we could talk about, it wasn't the best year ever. It wasn't. Giving stayed about the same, better than going backwards, right? Thriving group attendance was a little down. I have a bunch of reasons why that is, but it was. Uh, we have more people serving, but not a, not a huge amount, like not measurable, like not something where I go rah, rah. Um, but maybe most glaringly is we didn't have a ton of like numerical growth. Uh, and I know like that's not the most important thing I mean, having more people in a church building is not the most important thing. This is the most important thing. Um, matter of fact, just so you know, like we've grown more in the past two months of this, 2018, we've grown more in 2018 than we did all of 2017. Is that not crazy? And so we already know this year's gonna be better, so that we, we need to at least kind of disconnect from 2017. I'm not talking about the state that we're in now, I'm talking about the state that, like, what happened last year, just so you know, in some, like, doom and gloom. Oh my gosh, we're doing terrible. Actually, we're doing, like, we've had a, a swift uptake here just in the past couple of months, just so you know. It's like, don't freak out, it's okay. We're not, we're not dying here. Um, but it wasn't what it's been in 2017. It, just, it, it wasn't as good as the past years have been. Um, and what makes it worse, I think the, the attendance thing, what makes it worse is this, last year was our first full year here in the high school. And uh, if you're like me, those fears kind of pop in your head like, oh my gosh, what did we do? Like, uh, what, God, what? Hold up. Like, we did this for the purpose of having more room for more people to come. And all of a sudden we're here and like, God, what are you doing? I kind of want to be like the king of Israel. Like, hey, did you send us here just to like kill us? Was this some kind of hit job, God? What are you doing here? You know, like, this is... Like a thing, like a faith thing, and what the heck? We moved here because we thought God was gonna move here. And he hasn't moved quite the way we expected. So, here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. Just because we're not bigger, doesn't mean we're the same. Just because we're not bigger doesn't mean we're the same. Personally, just, I'm a different person. Uh, February 2000. 18, me standing here right now could kick the crap out of February 2017, me, just so you know. In every way, physically for sure, uh, mentally, spiritually, I could handle that kid, okay? He knew nothing compared to what I know now. Uh, 2017 has caused me to grow up in a really big way and, and, and like, it sounds like I'm bragging, like my faith is bigger now, but it's not like bragging, it's more like God like beat it into me, you know what I'm saying? Like it, was, it hurt, so I'm not bragging that I have more faith in him because he just didn't even know what I was gonna have to go through to get here. Um, so I'm stronger because of 2017 and so are we. We're a stronger church because of 2017. I've actually watched like with my eyes 
so many of you like stepping up and like taking steps toward becoming the person that God created you to be, like getting rid of your stuff in your life that, that you know God doesn't want you to have and like adding things in that you know God wants you to have and, and like so many of you are stepping up into like leadership roles and responsibility and, and buying into what we're doing here. You know, you're not just sitting here like a part of it, you're actually a part of it. You're like helping it move forward and go towards what it's supposed to be. I've seen so many good things. We may not be bigger, but we're stronger because of 2017. And just to give you an example, you ever try to lose weight? Uh, <laughs> every year, right? You try to lose weight, and maybe you do, you, you know, you're doing the exercise thing, you're, you're adding in the diet, maybe, and you lose weight for a while, right? The scale actually starts to move, and, and it's exciting, but then you hit a couple of weeks where it doesn't, and it's just like, the scale's not moving. And you get frustrated, you get discouraged. But the problem is the scale is not measuring that maybe uh, it only measures you know, how much you actually weigh. It doesn't measure whether you lost fat and maybe gained some muscle. And the problem is muscle weighs more than fat. So what happens is you get on the scale and it tells you you didn't make progress because you lost some fat but you gained some muscle so it sits there. But the scale's lying to you. Because you actually gained, you're actually, uh, you made progress, the kind of progress that you wanted to make, but it didn't show because it didn't measure that. And I kind of feel like that's how 2017 is for us. The scale might not be showing the right thing, but we definitely grew. We definitely made progress. We didn't make the kind of progress we wanted to. We didn't make the kind of progress we expected to, but we made the kind of progress that we needed to. We didn't gain numbers, we gained strength. And I believe it's actually the kind of strength that we need to be able to grow in the way we expect to grow. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we couldn't have done it, even if God tried to send that blessing our way, I don't know that we could have held on to it. We might not have been strong enough to be able to do that. We needed last year, I needed it. And I'm sorry if, like maybe it's frustrating, like I know that as the senior pastor that like a lot of times they say like, the leader's the one who's the cap so like we all, like all eyes are on me, right? Like you're literally like, yeah, it's your fault, dude. I know. Um, <laughs> to, like to a point, I have to grow up a little bit. I have to continue to grow. And uh, God's gonna force that down to my throat one way or the other. So we're on, this, we're on this path together and I'm excited about it because I can see it. So if we learn from the story that we just read, um, what do you do when you get to a place where you believe God wanted you to go and it turns out different than you thought it would be? Do you turn around? No. Do you give up? No. The story said you dig ditches, right? You dig ditches and you expect and prepare for God to move. So let me explain what that means to us. Um, we have some ridiculous strengths as a church. Do you realize, I don't even know, some of you don't even know because this is kind of like the only church you really know so you don't even know how strong we are in some areas. We are a church for people who do not think, who does not think church is for them. That, that's what we are. We're all about that person who uh, has like not been to church in a really long time or maybe just has never been to church ever. We're all about that person. Um, and we're really good at that. It's going to sound braggy, but we are. It's a strength. Um, that person can come in and not feel weird or judged or like somebody's looking at them funny. And that's genuine. Do you know how hard that is? Like, that is a really difficult thing to do. I have a lot of pastor buddies who would love to have the feel that we have, the culture that we have. They would give a lot to have it. And we have it, genuinely. 
And I hope that that same person who would be able to come in and not feel judged or weird or out of place would also be able to understand what's going on, would actually maybe be engaged and, and feel like they got something out of it. Even if they're not in the same place as us spiritually, they would feel drawn in by that. I feel like we do a really good job at that. Acts 15, 19, we do this verse really well. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So what's happening here, this is very early on in the church, and many of the Jews are starting to believe in Jesus, but Gentiles, Gentiles is just somebody who's not a Jew, are just now starting to accept Jesus, and the Jews don't know what to do with it, so the church leaders get together and they say, hey, let's not make it hard on these people. Let's, let's make it easy as they're trying to come to God, let's make it easy on them. And I think we do that really, really well. We, we don't make it hard on somebody who's curious. We don't make it hard on somebody who's a skeptic or has doubts or questions. Like we don't make them pay a price as they come in. Matter of fact, uh, in Thrive Group a couple weeks ago, we had a lady sharing about her first time at Mosaic. It was really cool. I wish I would have like recorded it on my phone. I didn't know it was going to be awesome until it was over, so I didn't. But um, her first time here, like she, she got on our website and she read that, oh, this is a church for people who don't think church is for them. And oh, they want to see the lost, broken, and skeptical find new life in Christ. And she actually said, we'll see. We'll see. So she purposely wore, I had to check with her, I had to text her this week, cheetah pants and a Motley Crue concert t-shirt here her first time. Just to see if that was going to work, Okay. And uh, she wanted to like prove it. Like really, you're gonna be, you're gonna, you guys are gonna, and, and nobody even blinked. Matter of fact, she fit in more than somebody who would have wore a tie that Sunday. Um, and now, the best part of the story is she's now leading our 180 high school ministry. So keep the Motley Crue t-shirt. Uh, but we do that, we do that. It almost comes naturally to us and that's good. Uh, we have other strengths too. Our G Kids ministry rocks. It is amazing. I can't say enough good things about our G Kids ministry. Our worship team's really good. Like, listen, I'm gonna whisper to you guys so they don't hear it. But do you know how good they are? Like, like I can't say this without making another church's sound bad. But guys, your worship team's good. Okay, it's good. And some of you see. The reason you're not clapping louder is because you're like, oh, I've been to churches where the worship team's that good. Yeah, those, people, those churches have thousands of people. We have 200, and they do this. This is, I'm telling you, you guys don't even know how good you have it. Um, and just let me say this, Jonathan, plug yours. This boy that we hired this year, he's doing a good job. Um, he's a youngin'. So, for real, plug yours. Um, I can't tell him this, like, he's a millennial. You guys know that, right? <laughs> but in some ways he's not, man. Like, he's got such a good work ethic. He works so hard, and man, he's so talented, and he's passionate, and he's starting to catch, like, a vision for what God's doing here. It's really, really cool to watch this kid. So, uh, I'm telling you what, we've only scratched the surface with that. We got, uh, it's not a diamond in the rough, it's actually whatever the opposite of that would be, because he was so polished and very churchy, and now we're turning him into mosaic. It's awesome. So, um, <laughs> Is that, I don't want to say, like, we're tainting him and it's better. Like, I don't, not that, but, like, he's, he's seeing it now and it's awesome. It's awesome. Um, so, uh, speaking of that, the last strength I want to bring up is, is actually also our, our biggest weakness. Um, we're young. We're a young church. And we're young in a couple of ways. Many of us are young in the faith. 
like we haven't been Christians for very long. And there's something about that, man. People who haven't been Christians for very long, there's an, an effortless passion that comes with somebody like that that's just, you just kind of want to be around it. And we have a lot of that going on. And that's just a really, you can't recreate it any other way. It's just a really cool feel to have in a group of people. Um, so we're, we're, we got a lot of people who are young in their faith, but we also, we're just young age-wise. Do you realize the average age in churches in America is 50 years old? 50. Most churches, their average age is 50. The average age of a senior pastor in the United States is 54. In just two decades, I'll be hitting average. (laughs) And our average age is certainly not 50. Um, This is a huge strength, okay? Many churches would love to see what we see coming through our doors. Uh, The things that come with youth are energy and a sense of purpose and like an idealism that has not yet been crushed by reality. You know what I'm saying? Older people get that, right? You get that. Uh, We still have that. We still have a little bit of idealism and there's something powerful about that. I know it's going to be tempered and I know it's going to be changed, but it's still a powerful thing. We have a willingness to try new things, which I love. And the biggest word that we have as a strength for us as a church is potential. Potential. So many people who are young in the Lord who haven't even started to develop out how God has gifted them, how God's going to use them. So many people who are just young, period. Tons and tons of potential. I love that. I love potential. I love seeing past what is to what could be. And with a group of people with a ton of this in front of us, I get really excited about that. But here's the thing about potential. Potential has to be developed. It does. You can only ride that potential momentum for so long before it starts to rot and decay, right? And unrealized potential is worse than not having potential at all. It's the worst. It's it's almost bitter in your mouth. So, this is our weakness. I believe uh, that we have not gotten it done when it comes to developing our people. We are really good at bringing people in, really good at making sure they feel welcome, really good at just an easy entrance, at not making it difficult for them to come to God. But we're below average when it comes to helping those people grow and develop in their faith. We lack a system to bring people along. And uh, I want you to know, like, I'm, I'm taking responsibility for that. Uh, as the leader, like I, I see that now. And I think it took part of, I think it took 2017 to kind of open my eyes to that. Because you know, things, sometimes things have to get rough before you're willing to admit anything's wrong. Like if everything's great, why would I change anything? And God's like, smack, change. And I'm like, okay, like I guess I will. Um, so I open my eyes to some of this. So which is why, if you notice in 2017, we started off by addressing some of these weaknesses, uh, the weakness with, with some different things. So we're now offering this one-on-one discipleship. Um, so if you don't know, like, you can get on our website and, and sign up to have a, a person, like, get connected with a person who's uh, going to, like, check in on you, keep you accountable, meet with you on a regular basis, and call you up to be the person that God created you to be. Uh, I believe that kind of discipleship, is, if we can get as many people as possible in those kind of relationships... Um, that's a potential developing thing that can happen, that we can develop our potential by having as many people do that as possible. I cannot encourage you enough to sign up for that. Um, I don't even care if you get your phone out right now and ignore me and do it right now. Um, it'll be one of the first things you see on our homepage on the website. Um, get connected. And by the way, you know why I want you to do that? Um, it, it, it certainly is for you. Like, I want you to grow. I want your faith to continue to develop. I want you to become that person that God has called you to be. I want that for you. But to be honest with you, in two years or one year, 
I'm gonna need you to be on the other end discipling somebody else because there's gonna be people sitting in these red seats around you that need it and I'm gonna need you to step up because we won't have enough people to actually disciple. So it's actually not just for you, it's for that next person that God's gonna bring in and he wants you to be the one who helps them develop. So it's not just a selfish thing, it's also a a mission thing that God's gonna use that to continue to carry down the line. So that's the first thing, we, we got discipleship up and running. We're also taking a close look at our Thrive Groups. Uh, our goal with Thrive Groups is to develop out different kinds of groups that offer different like, opportunities for growth. Uh, and what we really want is a system that kind of offers a kind of path that you could follow uh, to develop and mature as a Christian. Now, I, don't, I can't roll that whole thing out right now. We're working on it. I got a really cool couple who stepped up to help me lead that because I can't do it on my own. And we're going to be developing this out in 2018 to get a system in place that you can really plug in and, and move along in your faith. So we've got discipleship, we've got Thrive Roofs, and I'm also... Me personally, my job's gonna continue to change as we continue to grow, and I'm gonna spend a lot more time with our ministry leaders uh, this year, working with them to train and develop our ministry teams, because that's another one of our weaknesses. We like ask people to serve, and then for some instances, we just say, here, go. Um, And sometimes you can do that, right? Like you can hand a mom a baby, and she's all right, for the most part. Um, but some of the areas we just need to get better at training and developing, and we can always get better at different places. So one of the focuses I'm going to have is working with each individual ministry leader to develop that out a little bit more. Um, and the other thing we want to focus on with our ministry teams is developing a little bit more of uh, community and like, camaraderie in those teams, like you know, a tribe within a tribe kind of a feel. Like you need to feel like you're on a mission together, not just a loosely organized group of individuals. So we're going to be working on that as well. Basically... What I plan on doing this year is strengthening our core, developing our people, pouring as much resources and energy into you growing as I can. That's how I feel God pulling my heart. Can I be honest about that? It doesn't make sense to me. Um, let me explain. I've, I didn't finish the story. Let me finish the story. This will help us see it. Uh, verse th- uh, chapter 3, verse 20. The next day, about the time when the morning sacrifice was offered, remember they, were, they just dug trenches, so the trenches are dug. Water suddenly appeared. It was flowing from the direction of Eden. Soon, uh, Edom, soon there was water everywhere. So the ditches they dug are now full of water. What they needed was supplied. God's provision, God's, provision, God's blessing was given a supernatural, unexpected way. God gave them what they needed. But he's not done yet. This is the best part of the story. So they, they have water now. Like, cool, now we got water. Now we can go fight uh, stupid Moabites. Check this out, verse 21. Meanwhile, when the people of Moab heard about the three armies marching against them, they mobilized every man who was old enough to strap on a sword, and they stationed themselves along the border, so they're ready. But when they got up the next morning, the sun was shining across the water that God provided, that's sitting in the ditches that they dug, making it appear red to the Moabites like blood. It's blood, the Moabites exclaimed. The three armies must have attacked and killed each other. Let's go, men of Moab, and collect the plunder. So this water that's sitting in these trenches that they were supposed to dig, uh, the Moabites are looking across it and the morning sun comes and hits it and they see it and they think it's blood. They think these three armies have gone at it and like decimated each other. So they're like, boom, we don't have to do anything. So they're just rolling in to like pick up the scraps. Like they'll steal all the stuff from all these dead people. Uh, The battle's already won for them. Not the case, verse 24. But when the Moabites arrived at the Israelite camp, the army of Israel rushed out and attacked them until they turned and ran. The army of Israel chased them into the land of Moab, destroying everything 
as they went. So here's what I want you to see. God took this act of obedience that made no sense to dig a ditch when what they needed was water. And not only did he supply the thing they needed, he also used it to help them win a battle. I mean, think about it, a bunch of holes in the ground. Who would have thought, like, you know what we should do when we attack Moab? Just dig some holes. Like, nobody would have, nobody would have come up with that, right? Like, it's this random thing that God said, do it. And not only did he supply their needs, he also used it to push them to do the thing that he called them to do. So I want to show you something. I want to show you something. Uh, my kids were watching, my kids watch YouTube a lot, which I know is a little scary. Um, but they, uh, they started watching domino videos the other day. Have you ever watched these things? So I went in to tell them to turn stuff off. And uh, I ended up standing in there for like 20 minutes and watching these domino videos with them because they're crazy. These people like fill their entire houses with dominoes. I don't know how they have the time to do it, but they're crazy videos, really cool. Now, when you think about dominoes, you usually think, uh, like if you say the word, if you say the phrase, the domino effect, what you usually mean is one thing happening and then another thing happening and then another thing happening, right? Like a sequence of events. Like one thing led to another thing led to another thing. But that actually is not the full meaning of the domino effect. So uh, a domino, when you stand it up, has something called potential energy, right? So there's potential energy in what I just did. Uh, and then, when you knock it over, that energy is released. It's called kinetic energy, if you care. Um, now, the cool part about a domino is that the amount of energy it takes to actually topple the thing is less than the energy that is released. Does that make sense? I need to draw a picture. It's called force amplification. So the amount of energy it takes to actually tip it is less than the energy released when it falls, okay? And what that means is one domino can knock over another domino 1.5 times its size, which I didn't know. So, I wanna draw a parallel. Sometimes God tells us to do things that don't make sense. When God says to dig a ditch, when you want to get a bucket and watch for rain, that doesn't make sense. When you want to look to the sky and God says dig in the dirt, that doesn't make sense. But I believe there is power in an act of obedience in something that does not make sense. Like a disproportionate amount of power. Like more power than you would even really believe that is in there. And there's so often God tells us to do things that just don't make sense, right? So often. Like keep sex inside of marriage. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. Like there's a lot of reasons I can come up with why that doesn't make sense. Give God back a portion of what you bring in financially. That doesn't make sense. I can tell you a lot of reasons why that doesn't make sense. Love your enemies. Mm, That doesn't make sense. Forgive those people who hurt you. Mm, That doesn't make sense. There's a lot of things. And maybe you have your own things that you feel God nudging you on. Maybe you have uh, your own uh, callings and, and nudgings in your heart from God that's telling you to do something, and in your heart you're saying, that does not make sense. But I believe obedience in those things, specifically the things that don't make sense, is the most powerful kind of obedience. Like a domino. Watch this.
awesome. <laughs> you should clap for that. That was cool. I read that it's a... Uh, you could go 29 dominoes and you could knock over the Empire State Building. I asked Bob to make 29 and he refused. I don't know why. Um, God can take an act of obedience in a place that does not make sense and use it in ways that are disproportional to the size of the act of obedience. C.S. Lewis says it this way, the smallest good act today is the strategic point from which months later you may be able to be, go on to victories you never dreamed of. This is true for you in your life. Whichever thing in your life that God is calling you to do right now that does not make sense, do it and watch him work. It might not make sense here, but you'll see it there. And this is also true for us. We are a church for people who, does not, who do not think church is for them. And my instinct, what I want to say to you today on church, State of the Church Sunday, is that, man, we need to like go crazy with like outreach and get our message out there. And we need to, to like expand outward. That's what I want to say. That would make sense to me. That's holding up a bucket and waiting for rain. But what God is nudging me on, he says, no, 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 Adam, work on discipleship. Work on Thrive Groups. Work on getting your ministry teams trained. Get more tight-knit as a church. Heat up that core. Grow smaller before you grow bigger. Ditches. Ditches. Dig these ditches and he will supply the water. Stop staring at the sky and get your hands dirty. So I want to say yes even though it doesn't make sense because I believe he can do spectacular things with it. It's not just about, yeah, hey man, we do, we do need to do a better job of developing people, but what I just told you is not only did God supply the need, he also helped the, the thing that they did that made no sense didn't just supply their need, it also helped them do the thing that God had called them to do in the first place, and I feel like that's what's going to happen with us. Moving to this room is a ditch, a 900 seat ditch. It's nicer than a ditch, but it's, it's a ditch. And I still believe God wants to fill it. I believe there are people in Wadsworth and Rittman and Norton and the surrounding communities who do not know Jesus yet and God has called us to reach them. Like there are people who are supposed to accept Jesus because God moves through us. God's gonna use us. So we need to keep digging. So keep digging, G-Kids. Even when the kids are crazy and you feel like you're talking to a wall, you're digging trenches in these kids' hearts that God is going to fill with his love. Even if you can't see it, keep digging. Keep digging formed leaders, 180 leaders. Even if it's just for a few kids, even if you don't see the progress, even if it looks like their eyes are glazing over, you are digging trenches in these kids' lives that God is going to fill probably sooner than you realize. Keep digging setup, team. One quarter mile at a time, amen, right? God's gonna do something with this. You are so much a part of what God is doing here. We could not do this without you. Keep digging. Keep digging, worship team. Even on those days where it seems like you're the only one singing. Someday, not very long from now, this room is gonna be full with people who, with hands raised who are singing louder than you are. You're gonna have to turn your monitor up in your ear because they're gonna shout you down. Keep digging, Thrive Group leaders. Even those weeks where discussion is flat and the guy who wrote the questions did not have enough coffee that morning and he didn't write very good questions. Uh, you're doing something. There, there's, there's an effect in people's lives that they might not even be aware of. Keep digging. Keep digging, Mosaic. 20 baptisms? <laughs> that might not be 
what God has in store for us. I see a lot bigger things coming. Amen. 2 Corinthians 10, 15 says this. We don't brag about what others have done as if we had done those things ourselves. But I hope that as you become stronger in your faith, we will be able to reach more of the people around you. That has always been our goal. I've told you guys this before and I said it my first state of the church. I'm not really interested in like doing the churchy church thing. I'm not. Um, if I just wanted to be the pastor of a church that was really easy and cushy, it wouldn't look like this. <laughs> We'd do things a lot differently. I want to see us affect the community and change people's lives and see people uh, come to faith in Jesus that have never done that before. And I want to see it happen and happen and happen. That's why we're here. Pray with me.